Well, welcome to FBC. I feel like with that, I feel like I'm like in a fairy tale, like a fairy tale here at FBC. So in honor of that, I want to sing my sermon today. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, So glad to have you here. My name is Joe Andrews. I'm the campus pastor here. I'm not the pastor, uh, which means you're not going to be in Mark this week. Uh, You had 17 weeks of Mark. And so I think the pastor realized you needed a break and uh, he asked me to come up. Uh, We just started a series. Actually, the pastor started the series uh, last week and it's, it's called God Gave Them to You, Guard Their Hearts. And it's all about family this month. We're going to be talking about different elements of the family, and we hope that you get a lot out of it. Today, we're going to be focusing on marriage, and my sermon is called Marriage Should Guard Your Child's Heart. All right? Marriage should guard your child's heart. That is what one thing that marriage does, and I hope that you're able to see uh, what marriage really is Today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the ideal, all right? We're going to be looking at what God created marriage to be, all right? Now, as we do that, you're probably going to start measuring up your life to what God has said marriage should be, and you're going to realize, just like all of us, that you might fall short in some way or another, okay? And, and scripture was designed that way. When you start to see that you have shortcomings in what God made as ideal, what it makes you do is run to God and say, I'm so sorry that I've messed this up in one way or another, but I I just want to serve you and I want to do the best that I can now. And so that's really what I hope you see. But if you have in some way, shape or form, kind of messed that area up of your life, uh, there's still hope. All right? You haven't just messed everything up. Your children aren't uh, going to grow up to be murderers or anything like that just because something wasn't exactly uh, like it should have been. Like I said, God wants you to see that difference that we haven't measured up to his uh, standard. And so uh, you as, as parents right now are dealing with so many things. Actually, the culture is trying to sneak in and they're trying to teach your kids things that your kids should be learning in your household. And one of the things that's really gripping our society right now is moral relativism, all right? Moral relativism, if I could just kind of sum it up, would, would first say that there, there is no absolute truth. There's no objective truth. Something that says this thing would be wrong and this thing would be bad. That is gone, which means God in moral relativism is out of the picture, okay? And because God is out of the picture, And because we can't decide what's wrong or right, everybody kind of makes that up in their own minds. There's no standard. Morals are kind of fuzzy. And because morals are fuzzy, you might come up with a different truth than me. All right? And that's what society is teaching. You might have your truth, but I have my truth. And so a moral relativist sitting in this room right now would say, well, that guy up there has his truth and I have my truth. What he's saying isn't true in my world, but I'm holding scripture up and God at his standard and I'm communicating that. And so I am saying, no, there is objective truth. We can know what's right and what's wrong. And so 
All these people then are coming up with their own ideas, what's right and what's wrong, and they say, well, now you can't even uh, say what I'm saying is right or wrong because we can both have our own truths, and you have to tolerate my truth, which is where we get the word tolerance. I mean, we hear that a lot in our society. A moral relativist listening today would say, everything this guy is saying is what he's saying, but it's not the absolute truth. And I would say, no, it's, it's God's truth. A moral relativist would say marriage doesn't really matter. Moral rel- relativist would say that marriage could be really whatever you want it to be. Moral relativist might say, I don't know, kids aren't too important. Marriage isn't very important. You can kind of mix and match with whatever you want to do. Get married, don't get married. It, it doesn't matter. Just do whatever you think is right. And so I'm presenting something very, very different from that today. And that hasn't really, it's not really something new in our society. Now, maybe it's a little bit new for us, but in, in the history of, of things, this isn't really new. People trying to redefine things so that their lives maybe match those things better than what might be the absolute truth. And so uh, a long time ago, about 2,000 years ago, some Pharisees, some Jewish leaders came up to Jesus and they had a question for Jesus. And this question was kind of along the lines of what we're talking about. They kind of would like to maybe get out of some of their own marriages a little easier. They may have wanted to help other people get out of their marriages a little easier, but they're also trying to trap Jesus with this question. So if we go to Matthew uh, 19, uh, one through six, we're gonna read this. This is what they ask Jesus. They come up to him, they're in front of crowds. It says large crowds of people are there. And they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered them and he said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but they're one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. All right? So I love, they come up to Jesus and they're just ready to trap him. And he is always ready to trap them as well. The very first thing that he says to them, okay, Jewish leaders, those who are supposed to know everything about scripture, have you not read the very first page of your own scriptures? Because if you had, you wouldn't be answering, asking me this question. So here's my answer. At marriage, God joins two into one, all right? So your question already has a problem in it because you think you can divide one and no man should divide one. And so Jesus takes them all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God created man. Last week, we talked about creation. We talked about how we were created in the image of God. We talked about how we are his likeness, how he created us male and female for a reason. And we're gonna talk about that reason uh, today. And as he was creating, every time, every day that he created, he saw that what he created was good. And he said, it was good. For five days, he did this. It was good on the second day. It was good on the third day. It was good on the fourth day. It was good on the fifth day. And that brings us to the sixth day. Jesus takes them all the way back to the garden. I think it's awesome that he did this because who was there? Was it the Pharisees who were there in the garden when God created mankind? No, 
it was Jesus. He was the one that was there so he can speak to it best. And he knows that God created everything and he created it good until the sixth day. The sixth day kind of throws a wrench into something. For the first time since creation, something wasn't good. The word good means that it was right. It was not wrong. And because it was right, it was good. And so God created those five days and they were all good. And he creates man on the sixth day and suddenly something is not good. Now he's not done creating yet, but he wanted, to, he wanted us to know and he wanted everything to know that something wasn't good as soon as he had created Adam. Adam was alone. Verse 18 says this, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So alone actually has this idea of being separate from everything else. It, when, when David was talking uh, last week about how we were created in God's image, it, that set us apart, it set mankind apart from every other thing that God had created. One of the other things that David had said was that when God was creating, he would separate and then he would complete, all right? Just like he separated the waters from the earth. And then a few days later, he filled those. He completed those with all of the creatures and the plants and animals that live in them. He, he separated them and then he completed them. It's the same thing with mankind right here. He has separated man and now he's about to complete man. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But God says, if he hadn't completed it, it would have not been good. So here's the next thing that I want you to see. Adam felt separate but not complete, all right? God had created him different from everything else. I wanna go uh, to the passage right now. We're gonna keep reading in Genesis two. This is verse 19. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. Listen, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So Adam felt separate from everything that he had just named. And he wasn't like naming the animals one by one, like Bob and Larry and Rover. It wasn't that. He's naming species, all right? He's, he's giving breath to all these things, but all these things are paraded before him. And he realized there's nothing that looks like me here. I am so different. You know why he's different? Because he was created in the image of his God. And it was a beautiful thing. So he feels separate, but he doesn't feel complete. There wasn't a helper fit for him. No, the word helper is a beautiful word. All right, here's the idea of the Hebrew word for helper. All right, it, it means complete in a different way. So different, but in a complete way. All right, so Adam was looking around. He's like, there's nothing like me. There's nothing here that completes me or that's opposite of me but completes me somehow. There's not that idea here in this, uh, in this scene. And so he realizes for the very first time, I need, I need a helper. I need someone who's opposite of me in a completing way, somebody who completes me. All of these other animals, they have, seems like they have a counterpart. I haven't seen anybody else with long arms like me standing upright and not covered in fur and that has a face like mine. I, 
I'm separate from all of this and I don't feel complete. And that's when God decided to complete Adam with Eve. So I want to keep reading in uh, Genesis 2. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. All right, so uh, finally, Adam is presented with someone that completes him. It's a she, a pronoun she, all right? Male and female, he and she, her and him, all right? They came together. God introduced her to him after he had put uh, Adam to sleep and performed some sort of surgery, takes from his side and creates this woman. And Adam is ecstatic, Finally, he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Uh, I, I don't think it was just the clothing situation that he was really excited about. I think it was so much more than that. He finally sees someone that looks so much like him, but is also different at the same time. Someone that completes him. And it's right then, all right, if we jump back to Genesis 1 for a second, that God gives them two commands. Now, he had already commanded Adam not to eat from the tree of good and evil, but now the two receive two commands from God, all right? You guys know these commands. Be fruitful and multiply. David last week said uh, that God created them male and female for the reason this is the reason, to be fruitful and multiply. And now I'd like to ask David to come back up here and he can take this whole part of the sermon because this is awkward. Uh, <laughs> it brings me to my next point. And my next point is that marriage is for making babies. Listen. He said, be fruitful and multiply. That means produce fruit and make more of you. Become many. That means he wanted them to come together as one flesh and he wanted them to make babies. But it wasn't just about making babies. Marriage is for making babies disciples of Christ. I stole that from somebody who said it so much better than me. Marriage is for making babies disciples of Christ. All right, so as Adam would have had their children, they would have taught their children to know and follow the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is the one who told them to have babies and he was walking there in the garden with them and everything was good until sin entered into the picture. And that's when everything kind of started falling apart. But you and I, in our marriages, we, we do have a command. We, we should want to make babies. That is a, par a purpose of marriage, but not just that but that we would make more followers of Jesus in this world so that Jesus could begin to spread out and his name could go even further than it has ever gone before. That's when we get to verse 24, which is really placed in an odd way because there's only Adam and Eve right now, but God says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Before there's even a father or mother, and leaving homes and things like that, changing allegiances, not to your parents, but to your own family unit. God states this is really a precedent for the future. He says, this is how families are gonna work. 
And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. He said, the two will become one flesh. What that, what that means and what that, that really tells us is that the two will become one and from that day forward, they would not separate. In fact, the, the word that is, it says is he shall cling to his wife. He shall always have her near, all right? And that's what God has created marriage to be forever. The two become one, they don't separate. Sin entered that picture and it changed things up a lot. You need to help your kids know and follow Christ. They need to put their faith in him. Obviously, Adam and Eve just would introduce their children to God. They didn't know about Jesus or anything like that, but we do. And we know that the most important thing in our children's lives is not to be taught by our society, but to put their faith in Christ. And so that is what your marriages are for. Your marriages are kind of like an incubator. An incubator takes a premature baby that would not survive very well or at all outside of the womb and puts them in an environment where we can control humidity, oxygen levels, temperature, and we can make this, this little incubator optimal for that child's growth. Your marriages are the exact same thing. All right, your marriage is to be an incubator for your children. And some of your incubators for your children are gonna last 18 to 35 years, all right? I've met some of your kids. It's not just gonna be 18, guys, sorry. The world's changing, all right? Some of your kids are gonna be with you for like 35, maybe 40 years. Maybe they're just never gonna leave uh, your home. But, but your home is, and your marriage is supposed to be this environment where kids can flourish, where it's optimal for their growth. Oh, isn't that awesome? What a beautiful, beautiful picture that is. Your marriage should shelter your children. It should guard their hearts. If they weren't in that environment, it will be harder outside of that environment for them. All right? So I want to talk about a few more things here. You and I, we need to champion marriage and family because God created them and Jesus affirmed them, all right? We talked about Jesus and the Pharisee uh, right at the beginning of this. Jesus loved marriage. And as soon as he was asked about it, he took it all the way back to the garden, which means that was a special relationship between the man and the woman. And the family that would come out of that relationship as they are fruitful and as they multiply is a very special thing. And don't let the society tell you any different. You take this as truth from God, not subjective truth, but what is actually true. This is truth from God, so we should uphold it. We should lift it up. We should teach our kids about it. Maybe you feel like you've messed that up a little in one way or another in your life. Well, why not make a commitment today to value it like it should have been valued before? I mean, we can't unscramble the egg, right? If we've made mistakes, we can't go back and fix them even if we would like to. And so we have to continue moving forward. So from this point on, you can begin to value marriage like God and like Jesus does. Here's the next thing that I want to say, and this one might be a little hard for some of you. If marriage could have been good any other way, remember what good meant, not wrong, but right. And so it was good. If marriage could have been good in any other way, God would have made it that way, but he didn't. So it isn't. This is truth. 
If God could have made marriage any other way, maybe he could have put two men in the garden. Guess what? He couldn't have said, be fruitful and multiply. It wouldn't have been good. If it was two women, it wouldn't have been good. It wouldn't work. You cannot produce and multiply and make children and have a family that is good if you do it different. All right? And God didn't create marriage different. He created it as we've talked about it today. A man and a woman having children. It's a hard subject to tackle. We mess this up in so many different ways. We have divorce, obviously. Uh, we have people that had children before they were married. We have people that had children and never got married. We have homosexuals trying to get married. We have transsexuals and, and all of these things. Listen, that's not the way that God created it to be. And if it was good that way, he would have created it that way. But he didn't create it that way. So it's not good. Here's the next thing that I want to say. Have you messed this up in your own mind? Are you there and you say, I've kind of messed this up, pastor, in one way or another, whether it's one of the many things that we just talked about or it's something else that we haven't even got to. I still think that there's hope. I know that there's hope. God knew that we would never measure up to his standard. All right. He knew that. There is still hope. So if you think you've messed this up in any way, shape, or form, let me tell you this, you're in good company because we all have. I've been married for 18 years. I have four kids, all right? I, I bore fruit and I multiplied. And when the fourth one came along, I was like, I don't wanna do this anymore. That's a lot. <laughs> but I guarantee you my marriage does not meet God's standard in any way, shape, or form. There's some things that I may have gotten right that you didn't and some things you may have gotten right that I didn't. I'm not the man that I wanna be, I'm not the husband or the father that I wanna be. I wanna keep growing and I look at this and I think, man, I hope my marriage is an incubator for my kids. Another thing that you may, uh, that you need to know is that no matter how you've messed it up in your own mind, or in everybody else's mind, it doesn't really matter. You're welcome here. So on behalf of our staff and on behalf of our congregation, no matter how you think you've messed this up, you're still welcome here. Now, we're not gonna lie to you and tell you that everything in your life is perfect and in order as it should be, but we will love you 100%. And we're here for you. If you need us, get a hold of us. Come and talk with one of us. Set up an appointment. If you need counseling, we can point you in the right direction. But there are so many ways to mess this up. But there's still hope. Maybe your marriage right now is, is on the brink and you're listening to this and you're like, I'm about to mess it up or it's about to be messed up. My kids might be going over here and I'm going here and I don't know where she's going. I, you, might, you might be thinking maybe my marriage isn't even gonna make it out of the parking lot today. There's still, there's still hope. You still have pastors who are willing to invest in you. You still have resources. One of the resources I wanna to talk to you about, we actually have a whole bunch of resources out there. We made a little, a little uh, 
uh, book sale place over there, a little bookstore for you. I want to point your attention to this book first. It's called The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. Uh, it's by John Gottman. It is an excellent resource to begin reconnecting to your spouse and, and to identify some of the reasons that you may be on the brink of divorce right now. I think there's a few copies out there still. Uh, if they're not, you have a good picture of it. You can write down uh, the book name and you can get it on Amazon. It's not, uh, it's not too much money. Next week, Brian is gonna talk about a whole bunch of resources to help you in your incubator, to help you train up your children in the way that they should go. And all those books are gonna be out there too. He'll talk about them next week. We want this to be practical for you though. Here's the last thing I wanna say. Marriage is not the only context in which you can guard your child's heart, okay? It's not. I, didn't, I never said marriage is the only place where you can guard your child's heart. Guess what? My parents were divorced at nine. They were separated when I was at eight or when I was eight years old. I don't know, at eight, I don't know what that means. When I was eight years old, they separated. When I was nine, they divorced. I didn't grow up in anything that we were talking about all day today. And I turned out all right, I wanna say, I don't know. I don't, I don't wanna ask you because I don't want your opinion. I'm just gonna make that statement. I turned out all right, okay? So listen, you haven't messed everything up if you've messed up in one area. God knew that. God can still work through you. Both of my parents guarded my hearts. It was just outside of that incubator and might've been a little harder for them and a little bit harder for me. God can take whatever situation you're in, okay? And he can help you guard your child's heart in it. We've just seen the ideal. What was ideal? We don't measure up. So don't think that that's the only way. I don't know where you are in your marriage with your children or anything like that, grandchildren, whatever it is, but I know that they need to value marriage. So maybe tonight at the dinner table, you could talk to them about how important marriage is. Even if you've messed it up a little, you could tell them, I kind of messed this up, but here's what God created it to be. Would you value this with me? And they probably will. You need to teach them about it because culture is gonna teach them something opposite. Do it tonight. Sit down with your kids, go through this little passage. It's really easy to go through. You just heard it all explained and just talk to them about marriage. I think it'll be, do really good things. I don't know where you are today. I don't know where your marriages are. Maybe you just need to come forward. You need to pray with somebody about your marriage. Maybe you just need to take a moment. Maybe you need to rededicate yourself to the Lord. Maybe you need to rededicate yourself to what it, what it means to be a family and what marriage means. You need to lift that up in a culture that is tearing it down. Maybe you just wanna come forward and join the church, whatever you want to do. If you need to put your faith in Christ for the first time, we're gonna have ministers up here. You can talk to us about any of that. But make sure that you respond to the Lord. Now, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so very much for your word that teaches us so well about what the ideal is. And God, I thank you for being a God who loves us in spite of us never measuring up to what you've created us to be. I thank you for sending your son who dies for all of those inadequacies that we have. God, I thank you that you created marriage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.